0: Welcome to another episode of the Rent Stories Podcast where we talk to New Yorkers about renting in the city. Today we get to do our absolute favorite thing to do, give away free rent and introduce you to our amazing winner. Today's guest and the latest winner of the free rent sweepstakes is Nina Thomas. Nina is a teacher, speaker, and blogger. She writes about issues related to class and race and her faith on her blog, BrownLikeCurry.com, and vlogs on her YouTube channel of the same name. We'll link to all of her social media in the show notes. But without further ado, welcome, Nina. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome. So, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show and congratulations on winning the sweepstakes. Um, You know, we really just want to get to know you on this call and give our listeners a chance to meet another New York City renter. So, let's maybe start at the beginning. Where are you from and how did you get to New York?
1: So, I'm actually born and raised in New York. So, I've never been anywhere else, but my family lives out in the suburbs and I. Went to New York City around the time I was in college. Entirety of my 20s, I've pretty much lived and worked in New York City.
0: Amazing. Well, you are a very qualified expert then in bringing your. Uh, your knowledge of the rental ecosystem and what it's like to be a New Yorker and what the New York uh, New Yorker needs might be. Um, so we we know you're a teacher, uh, which is amazing, but it's probably something that's very difficult to deal with right now, uh, teaching remotely. Um, so let's let me start with the beginning there. So you've been in New York a long time. You're a teacher here. How long have you been a teacher and I guess what do you love most about it? And, and then maybe we can get into how it's changed because of COVID. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm actually just finishing, or I'm not finishing. (laughs) I feel like the year is done. Well, I guess the, not the academic year, but the the regular year is almost done, but it's my fifth year uh, full-time and I did a residency before that. So technically six years in the education system. And I think what I love most about teaching is the fact that it is always really funny. (laughs) It's because you're working with, I work with teenagers mostly so, I like I never have a boring moment, and my friends who work in business always ask me for stories because their, their jobs are, I guess, I mean, it is also fun, but they don't have the same types of stories, so I think for me, what I love most is just my students and the interactions I have, and I love that I also teach to a very diverse population of students, so I love all of that.
0: That sounds really amazing. I, I obviously work in business as a, as a member of the rent city team. And although probably the most interesting thing that we get to do is talk to renters like you, we uh, we often miss out on, on some of the human to human interaction that you would get in, in a normal non-business job uh, where your job is to interact with other people and educate them and um, and bring them on board. So what is it that you teach?
1: So my license is special education. So I teach special education English specifically, and I work with a population of students who are learning disabled. So those are students who have a average IQ, but maybe they just learn a little bit differently. So ADHD, dyslexia, things like that. And also um, the school I work at has a special program for students with high functioning autism. So I work with those students with um, social pragmatic, things like that. So that's the population and the subject area.
0: So it sounds like you made a conscientious decision at some point in your life to uh, develop those new modes of teaching, which have evolved, I imagine, um, a lot in the past couple of decades and, you know, are different from the standard practice of teaching high school English. What is it that drew you to that that different mode of uh, of information presentation and working with a lot of different types of students who are all going to, need different learning styles uh, when that probably poses a much bigger challenge than just walking bored high school students through the literature.
1: Yeah. So for the types of students that I teach, I think that um, honestly, I, I was a student who when I was a lot younger, I struggled in school And it was just because I wasn't engaged and find it very interesting. And I come from a South Asian background, so there was little tolerance for the fact that I didn't like school. And early on, I ended up really loving education. It's because of a teacher who really saw something in me and saw my potential. And I think for me, I really love obviously social media. Like I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all those different avenues. And it's really fun for me to see the ways that um, school has changed, especially in New York City. I've attended professional developments where we'll find out ways to incorporate social media in our curriculum. So how do we use um, how do we create text conversations to talk about characters from from great novels? And how can we make things more relevant? Because um, that's a better way to connect with students. And it honestly is more engaging even for the teachers. Yeah, that's my experience with it.
0: That's fascinating. I wish I had as you know teachers like you who brought learning to life and made it relevant to me because I think uh, a lot of times uh, teachers are are very fixed in um, the standard rubric and um, they have a curriculum that is passed down from teacher's past and uh, are, are sometimes not accommodating of different students' needs or, or you know, that willing to make the, the lessons as interesting as they could be. But it obviously does take a lot of work. And um, I think uh, listeners are probably really interested to figure out how it is that COVID and being quarantined and having to host classes over Zoom and follow up with students over email exclusively and use chat to, um, to stay up to date. How has that changed the learning dynamic? Are you able to be as effective as you'd hope to be? Has uh, the rubric been thrown out the window? What, what has that experience been like?
1: So I think the best way to kind of uh, communicate what the experience has been like is through like a little bit, little story of something I went through. So in New York City in particular, especially I work in a low income school. So I think 90% of the students, uh, they receive lunch aid. So that's like the criteria for being a low income school. And um, so for those students that we can't legally require them to have their cameras on. We can't penalize them and have that be required in any sort of way. So a lot of our students don't have their cameras on during instruction. And that's fine because a lot of the 11th graders, I've taught them in 10th grade before, but my current 10th graders, I would maybe see in the hallways beforehand, but otherwise, I have no idea who they are. And I, I did have some students in person for a while, but then New York City School shut down, so they're not in person anymore, but most of them are online. And I went to the mall nearby where I work, and I had these group of girls get really excited to see me, and they were like giggling, and they're like, "Hi, Miss Thomas!" Hi, and I'm like, "Oh wait, do I teach you?" And apparently, one of the girls is one of my students, and until she told me her name, I had no idea who she was. So that's kind of like how things have changed. I literally oh, wow. can't recognize my students. Yeah,
0: that's in. Oh, that's got to be so difficult. So you don't have a, a face or a, a reaction. You don't have uh, the the nonverbal signals of agreements and understanding um, to to play off of. So when you're presenting information and you're the monolith of uh, of being in front of the classroom and uh, almost as if you have your back turned to the class when you're just writing on the chalkboard you're trying to get this information across but you're you're not able to get that feedback is is it is it um something that uh there's a different solution for that the technology might provide some solution to engage the classroom or give you that feedback or is it really just um the nature of it right now that you have to cope with presenting to uh you know a avoid and and you're unable to to have that level of engagement with your students
1: yeah I mean for me I think what's helpful is we still have the opportunity to observe our coworkers if we want and one of my coworkers, I heard that he's really great with engagement even though everything is online so out of curiosity I asked him if I could just go and visit and there are small ways like even just requiring any kind of response so, okay, tell me, are you on this page, everyone, right in the chat? Yes or no? So, small things like that, I think that helps tremendously. And sometimes cold calling people it helps a lot because honestly, I think we we've, we've all we forget what it's like, but when you're in class and you've been in front of a computer for a while, you're going to get tired and bored. I'm sure there's students who are zoning out from time to time. So just having small ways to remind them like, hey, or, like, are you here? I think that's really important. And there are also are really cool different plugins you can add, like NearPod. Like if you, if you mention this to any teacher, like it probably triggers them a little bit because there's almost too many plugins, but there are a lot of different options for teachers to kind of um add things to their resources so that they can engage students in a different way.
0: That's really cool. Well, at least uh, there is some initiative out there to make it more facilitated and easier for for teachers like you. So you're this amazing, empathetic person who is working through a difficult situation. And you're also a public personality. You're out there uh, and talking about your life and talking about your experiences and um, really being an open book. And I'm sure that's uh, a little scary as a teacher, because you have the scrutiny of your students and your administration and the public in general, and you have to be very careful. Um, But in, in general, also the the world is going more online. You know, renters are spending more and more time online because of remote work. And um, you know, you've already moved online to engage with your audience and tell stories about your religion and your culture and your work as a teacher. How did you get started with that? And was it something that kicked off during the pandemic or is this something that you've been doing for a long time?
1: So I, my generation really grew up on YouTube kind of, I mean, around the time I was a teenager, I think that's when YouTube came out and it was like a really cool thing. And I really liked it. I mean, I really liked watching people share their lives online. And I always wanted to have a YouTube channel. And I think that a lot of us just fear the judgment of other people. And what's funny is there was this girl from my church who was maybe 14 years old and she randomly decided like, I'm gonna start a channel. And she ended up deleting it after a year or two. But when she started it and was so fearless, I kind of had this reaction of why did I wait so long to do something? And I think sometimes like we feel like we should have a certain like amount of followers or certain amount of engagement or whatever else. But I decided, you know what, I'm gonna start it. And it's been actually a couple of years and I've had like pretty slow growth overall. But I've noticed that I found my own community and my own niche over time. So it's been a really great experience. And in regards to school and how I thought my students or admin would react to it, what's funny is um, because the world is changing, there actually was a time right before COVID, I ended up having to stop this because it was an in-person job. But we have an after-school program and they were looking for a YouTube instructor to teach students how to edit. Wow, videos. yeah. <laughs> and so I was hired and I was taught, I basically taught the students how to use Final Cut Pro because honestly, for some people, that actually is an avenue. You might not be a YouTuber, maybe you're editing videos for a full-time YouTuber, but the world and jobs look different. So yeah, it ended up being a helpful skill. And my students actually, whenever they find it, they always think it's a secret because I never mention it to them. But every couple of years, like a bunch of them find it and get really excited. But it's always helped me connect with them. I've always felt like our relationship is better after it rather than worse.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like they must get to know you and understand that you're not just this uh, face on a screen that teaches me, and I don't have to show them who I am. You're, you know, a dimensionalized person with, you know, real life events and uh you know you go and you get up in the morning and prepare for the day like everybody else i i feel like i never understood that about my teachers you know it was they they came into the classroom and i expected perfection and they expected perfection of me and uh there was some toxicity in that relationship i i guess but you know probably equally coming from both sides and I would have want I wonder this is a random question, but uh do you have any students whose parents make them show up on video just so that they can be more engaged and visible in the class, or is this something that parents are seemingly understanding of and accommodating and don't make their kids uh, show up in that way?
1: So for the students I teach generally no but i've heard of one student who who basically like he's not forced to put his camera on but whenever he's not paying attention you'll hear his mom like yelling at him so they're not you know making them put their camera on but they're like come on pay attention wake up so even if we're not seeing it we we're aware
0: (laughs) yeah savage mom's mom's mom to be that way sometimes um so you're uh you're online a lot and there's no escaping that. And in the course of this journey online, you came across a YouTube channel for Cash Jordan, uh, who's one of our partners and friends. And I imagine you saw him talking about a free rent stakes and an opportunity to help out your fellow New Yorkers by providing more transparency for the rental ecosystem. And you wrote a review and you won the contest and you got free rent. So tell us about that journey. Where did you first see the contest? What did you do when you got to the site? And um, what, is that, what does that free rent mean to you?
1: I have followed Cash Jordan for, I think, a couple of months now, like a little while. And I was talking to my older brother about this, actually, but he got really excited because he's followed Cash Jordan. And even on Instagram, a lot of my friends follow him. I think it's one of those things where if you're in New York City, if you're a millennial, like you're looking at New York City apartments, you're probably following Cash Jordan. And I would just watch his videos all the time randomly, especially as the landscape of New York City renting has changed. It's been really interesting for me to hear his insights and his thoughts and even just receive advice from him as well because he seems like really down to down to earth and also um, very honest about what's happening in New York City currently. And in one of his videos, he just mentioned, you could get a month of free rent by just leaving a review. And I'm one of those people where I'll enter anything and I think I'm kind of lucky and I guess I am.
0: You are lucky. Because- <laughs>
1: because <laughs> i yeah I, I did not expect to win this even though you know i i consider myself lucky but yeah i mean i also thought the concept of the website was like a really good idea and also really helpful because. I mean, how else are, do you know to check for certain things in certain places? I mean, there's 311, there's like certain ways that you can check for things. But I, I thought, you know, it takes me like five seconds to leave a review that might be super helpful. And yeah, I mean, I was really excited to win. And for me, having free rent just means having a piece of financial freedom. And I think for a lot of people, rent makes up the most of the money that they spend in a month or even in a full year and to not have to pay that for one month is a really, really awesome feeling, especially with holidays and gifts and everything like that. It was a very, very welcomed and nice surprise to have.
0: So great, and you know, we're um, we're really fortunate because, you know, it could happen that um, someone who is less deserving than you wins and look with this is our contest it's open to all new yorkers if somebody wins it they're gonna get the the free rent and it's um it's our commitment to our audience but uh every once in a while you know it, it works out really nicely the the last person who won was um actually an out-of-work broadway actor and so he um you know he was really grateful. He had just come from living outside of his apartment for a while and had gone home because he wasn't being able, he wasn't able to pay the month month to month rent. So um, it had a big impact for him too. And um, he's he's actually recently put out an album. Um, so we'd love to think that you know just having the, the little extra boost at a at a difficult time at the peak of the pandemic um, helped tide him over and and access that portion of his of his time and his sense of security to be able to recommit to his his art um, and he was he was really great so you are joining a long history of two people now um, who have uh, been great examples of what makes new york awesome and um you know and we we couldn't be happier to to award you this and and you know you're also uh, on the same podcast that cash jordan was on two episodes ago um so if you haven't listened to that go back and you can hear our conversation he's he is as uh as interesting and down to earth as, as I think you imagine him to be Um, just a, not, not only like a really great partner for us because, our interests are so aligned, and the focus of his work is so relevant to what we're trying to do. Um, he's also uh, just an intelligent person, and um, and has some really profound thoughts about uh, how the world has changed and how technology is is likely to support um, a revolution in the way that people gain information about um, marketplaces that were previously really obscured. Like you said, you used to have to call three one one and go through a bunch of menu is to try and find out if your building had any violations. Um, so you are uh, obviously a big believer in digital technology and the digital transformation of society and, um, and, and how that can amplify an individual's voice and uh, expose uh, your ideas to the world and help make the change that you want to see in the world. Uh, so what are your goals for your platform?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm always conflicted about that because if I talk about certain topics or trends, I notice that for me personally being a very, I'm kind of niche in a certain way because I'm South Asian and a lot of my videos are also Christian. So there's not as many people within that bracket. So my real goal is to reach people who kind of fit that particular bracket in addition to whoever else wants to come. Cause I also have other other things talking about like my life as a New York State teacher and, just like life in general so for me it's more about um, trying to add value with with each video that I create so even though I would love to reach a larger audience and obviously with that comes um, influence and the ability to make a a greater positive change for me it's really creating a lot of value for whoever is currently following me and I think I've been able to see that in my own way so um, if I get a message from someone telling me that I feel like you're my older sister when you give me advice or "Um, I really appreciate like the things that you share online. I think for me, that's what makes it worthwhile. And yeah, I think for me, I would also love to grow in the scope of that and seeing how I could reach um, different types of people who maybe don't fit my exact niche either.
0: I think that's a it's a really sound and uh, admirable personal philosophy. Uh, It seems to work for cash, right? He's creating value for his followers and uh, that's what we're trying to do on our platform too. And um, it motivates people to engage with you because Uh, if you're not adding value, if you come in there with entitlement and expectation and uh, you're not putting in the work, then why should people follow you? And there's so many other people who are trying to create value. So I think that's really sensible. So in the interest of creating value for the listeners of this podcast, one of the things that we like to do as recurring segment is ask you about your renting experience. And, uh, We like to ask what your best rental experience has been and your worst. So maybe let's start with the best because as I've noted on other podcasts, the worst experience tends to be the more entertaining one.
1: Okay, so my best experience is apartment that I'm currently still paying rent to, even though I'm currently not there. I'm actually with my parents right now, but um, my apartment that I love, I've been in actually for the majority of my time in New York City. It's been, I think four years in that apartment and I have an amazing landlord. He actually is like a very nice person and it's a house rather than like a big, you know, apartment complex and it's one of the outer boroughs. And uh, yeah, he, whenever we have an issue, he comes right away and I feel so safe. And I know that it's a really safe environment because his daughter actually lives underneath where we live and we split the internet. <laughs> the internet's really cheap. And um, it's like an insane amount of room for the borough that we're in. Cause New York City, you're not getting a lot of room. And whenever people come in, they're like, how do you have this much space? And how are you paying so little? And um, we actually negotiated the price down. So originally it was supposed to be 2,700, but I swear to you, that apartment was empty for months and no one wanted it. And it was such a steal. And we ended up getting it for around twenty four hundred because we negotiated it down and we have loved it. I've actually gone through like a transition with like, I think one roommate left, another roommate left again. But I like, stayed there just because it was so amazing. And finding a good landlord in New York City is very rare. So I'm super grateful to to have him as my landlord.
0: That is incredible and uh, a very rare story. I think I I know again. Cash coming back to his content seems to be able to unearth these gems, especially right now when there's a lot of price fluctuation uh, and uncertainty from the owner standpoint of how to attract the right customers and the significant volume of customers, but. Um, that price and the space sounds like an incredible deal. Uh, So congratulations to you on that too. You seem to be lucking out in all walks of life. Um, But on the flip side, I guess, do you have a really bad rental experience that you can share that uh, will at least normalize you to all of our listeners?
1: Yes, yes. My first experience in New York City was like really, really awful so the apartment ended up getting bed bugs and there was a clause in the lease that said even though it's literally illegal the the, there was a clause in the lease that says that they would not pay for the removal So that had to come out of pocket for us. And if they're like, literally when we spoke to them about it, they gave us a little spray and they're like, here, (laughs) like this is how you're gonna deal with this problem. And their whole um, philosophy of it was the apartment does not have bed bugs when you come in. So if bed bugs come, you have brought them in. So you must pay for this. And, you know, I was a first year, I wasn't even a first year teacher, I was in my residency. So I was making $20,000 a year and then i have to pay for bed bug removal. So it was really really awful. I never saw my landlord. Um i think we used to joke there was like a homeless man who was like, you know, our neighbor. Um and our packages got stolen a lot. So it was, you know, kind of the opposite of my experience now, but yeah.
0: Wow, yes, that uh, pest is something that um, most New Yorkers have to deal with at some point in their lives if they live here. Um, and there are laws that protect tenants um, when their houses are infested with bag bugs. There's reporting systems. That's where we actually get our information um, from uh, for the Rent City score uh, about pests. And um, so there is visibility of the information, but it can be really hard to trace. It can be really hard to ensure that you're advocating for your own rights. And, um, it's one of those things that needs to change in favor of the renters, because you shouldn't have been saddled with that. That, um, should be something that sat with the landlord. And, uh, I, I, I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, Nina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, If you are listening to this podcast, you like hearing interesting voices. So please visit Nina's platforms, brownlightcurry.com. There's links on that website to her YouTube channel. Her uh, blog is full of great content. She shows up on other podcasts. You can tell she's a seasoned expert here. She's got the great microphone. If you're watching the video of this, it's because she is a professional talker. She's talking to students all day. She's teaching English. Uh, So you definitely have a lot to learn from her and uh, a lot more authentic New York City renting experiences. Nina, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Have a great rest of your day.